looking at this, a king who wouldn't listen. Uh, the successor to Solomon was Rehoboam. Uh, he was younger, and uh, he just wouldn't listen to uh, the input from the advisors to Solomon. They were wise men that had been around for a long time, and he wouldn't listen to them. And so here in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, uh, as we read about this, uh, just some of what Solomon would write here. Verse 18 of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, kind of at the end of Solomon's life, Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Yet shall he have rule over all my labor, wherein I have labored. And wherein I have showed myself wise unto the sun, this is also vanity. So the successor to Solomon was Rehoboam, who made a shrewd decision uh, and made a part to become a very foolish ruler. At the beginning of his reign, there was a, he was brought to a crossroads. And uh, you either listen to the advice, lower the taxes, be nicer on the people, easier on them, or you make it harder. And he decided, obviously, uh, he decided to turn from the Lord and continue with the idols that his father was at and uh, would bring great judgment upon Israel. And uh, his reign could hardly be called successful. In 1 Kings 14.21, going back there to 1 Kings, we'll look at chapter 12 and chapter 14 today. But in 1 Kings chapter 14, verse 21, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 40 and one years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. As we see here, she, uh, Solomon uh, had for uh, Rehoboam, his mom was a pagan. Gentile, if you would. And the same text informs us, again, of her ethnicity, and, uh, which means that she was an Egyptian princess that Solomon married. This was not his first wife. His father David had married a princess, Geshur, a nation in Syria. So you had David making bad, uh, indi- bad decisions in whom he's marrying and the relationships he's having. He's putting relationships with those that don't love the Lord. It was a political move on David's part. It was a political move on Solomon's part. All of this diplomacy, if you would, uh, there in politics. Now, here in 1421, Nama the Ammonite, it gives us this information here, understanding that remember when Israel came into the Promised Land, they were to rid themselves of all of the Canaanites. They get rid of all of them. They said, lest they be a snare to you. And here we're seeing, just a few generations after, that there's a tremendous snare given to the Israelites. And uh, so Solomon's Ammonite wives and concubines, Rehoboam, inherited when he became a king. What life does to us depends on what life finds in us. And so of his 17-year reign, King Rehoboam he responds to situations that reveals the kind of person he really is. And there's at least four characteristics that really shine a light on who he is. So we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 12. Number one, he was an arrogant king. Chapter, one, chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 17. A little bit lengthier passage here uh, in looking at this. Um, but as we do that, we'll read the first few verses here and we'll work our way through this. But And Rehoboam, verse 1 of chapter 12, Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. And it came to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was yet in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. 
If you'll remember, as we spoke about uh, a couple weeks ago, we didn't have Sunday school last week, and but uh, <clears throat> Jeroboam was told that he would get ten of the tribes of Israel because Solomon had sinned against the Lord by having so many wives. So Jeroboam, he was highly praised by Solomon. Then eventually this envy comes and Solomon desires to come after Jeroboam. So Jeroboam pleads for his life. Now understanding that Solomon's off the scene, Jeroboam comes home. This is what we're reading, okay? That's kind of the context here. For he was fled from the presence of King Solomon and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt. That they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came and spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father, and his heavy yoke, which he put upon us, lighter. We will serve thee. He said unto them, Depart yet for three days, then come again to me. And the people departed. Alexander McLaren called this account a miserable story of imbecility and arrogance. And he was right. So any gift that Rehoboam may have possessed, he didn't have the gift of being able to relate to people. He was just horrible at relating to people. I mean, Solomon did well in relating to people. David was a shepherd, he had a man after God's own heart. Yes, David had his uh, very black areas of his life. But David dealt very well with the individuals. And David loved people. David interacted with the people. He risked his life for their welfare. And even this week as I was reading, when, when Abner was killed... Early on in David's reign, David wept. Abner was a man that had sided with Ishbosheth, who was Saul's son after Saul's death. And David was weeping and rent his clothes, and he was just beside himself because an enemy of his died. David valued life. Rehoboam, though, ignores the lessons of the past, and he turns his ear away from the voices of suffering people, and he was unfit to rule. So we find the assembly at Shechem. Solomon had made it clear that Rehoboam was to be the next king, and it was still necessary for the people to affirm him. And so they all meet together. Uh, this had been done when Saul had become king, also in David, right? 1 Samuel ten seventeen, And Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah. 2 Samuel 4, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah, they told David, saying that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. And over and over again, you'll find the people gathering when the coronation of a king happens, much like they still have over in England, right, with the royal family. There's a, a, there's a gathering of individuals. And Rehoboam and his officers had appointed Shechem as the meeting place. And the men of the northern kingdom attended. Now, there are some grievances that they are desiring that this new king would implement. Jeroboam is here with the men of the northern kingdom. Jeroboam returns from asylum and has an opportunity to, for Jeroboam and Rehoboam to work together. Rehoboam knows, obviously, from his father that Jeroboam was an enemy. He didn't want to openly oppose Jeroboam and lest he alienate the people. It's a diplomatic move. See, if I interact with Jeroboam directly, then I risk losing him. Rehoboam understands that God promised to David that there will not fail a man to sit on the throne of David. So he's thinking, well, the Davidic dynasty is in his mind, right? I, this is my rightful heir. I am a son of David, you know, grandson of David. Uh, it's in my, in my lineage. 
But he obviously forgets 2 Samuel chapter 12. I want you to, 2 Samuel chapter 7, excuse me. Look with me in here, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, verse 12. Obviously, Rehoboam is forgetting this. And I'll draw this uh, here in a little bit. I'll draw this together in all these ideas of where we're going. But 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom, and he, sh- he shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I-, I will be his father, and he shall be my son, if he commit iniquity. Rehoboam forgets about this. I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. What is he saying? He says, listen, if you deviate from worship to me, I will send other men to make your life more difficult. And God does the same thing today to us. When there are issues in our lives, God will allow other individuals to come in, become an irritation, a frustration, uh, potentially a thorn in our flesh, another individual. Because he's trying to get our attention to change some sinful ways. Now, if Rehoboam selects uh, Shechem, as he selects this, now Ephraim and Manasseh were the descendants of Joseph. And they considered themselves the leading tribes. And openly uh, expressed the resentment of the leadership of Judah. Uh, as we see here, uh, Psalm 78, 60, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he had placed among men. Verse 67 of chapter 78. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim. So David had welcomed volunteers from Ephraim and Manasseh uh, if you understand, into his band. But for years, Ephraim and Manasseh had sown seeds of division and ascension land. There was still this idea, Joseph was our father, in this kind of supremacy of who they are. In 1, Kings, or 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 30 and 31, the children of Ephraim, uh, 20,800 Men of, mighty men of valor, famous throughout the house of their fathers and of the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000, which were expressed by name to come and make David the king. So you have great division in the land. Solomon's hard taxation, his hard uh, building, and all, everything that he was doing had created a tremendous rift. I mean, they knew that God was blessing the kingdom. There was tremendous wealth. There was peace all around. Uh, the, obviously, towards the end of Solomon's life, uh, there was continual uh, irritations and frustrations of other people coming in and attacking them because of Solomon's uh, uh, divergence away from the holiness unto God. Now, the appeal of the ten tribes, led by Jeroboam, the leaders of these northern tribes, they protest the heavy yoke. They say, Rehoboam, you've got to make life easier for us. Your dad put too much taxes and too much labor upon us. I mean, can you, I mean, Solomon would have to be involved in labor, with tremendous labor. I mean, he has 700 wives, 300 concubines, and who knows how many kids. That's a lot of housing. And he's not going to make any just squalor type house. He's got to be building tremendous, tremendous uh, residences. And so these leaders are tired of the service and the taxes of the ten tribes. These ten tribes upon which we relate upon them. 
I want you to notice that in 1 Kings chapter, 1 verse, 1 chapter 4, verse 20, excuse me, Judah and Israel were many as a sand which is by the sea and multitude, eating and drinking, making merry. Judah and Israel. There is, a, there is a distinction. And it is thought, as we had mentioned here a few weeks ago, that <clears throat> Solomon most likely had a, uh, a bias towards Judah wherein he would not put heavy labors upon those of Judah, but he would of the other tribes, and hence some of the envy that was there. And so there's a favoritism. In 1 Kings 5.13, And King Solomon raised a levy out of all Israel, and the levy was 30,000 men out of all Israel. So he's putting the taxes upon Israel, but not Judah. Now the question is, why should these hard-working people of Israel sacrifice to put a king in a magnificent house eating daily at his festive table with all of the delicacies and all the niceties when there is such blatant disregard for the unity of the kingdom. The people had a tremendously heavy yoke. Back in the days of the judges when Israel had a who had, had asked for a king, Samuel warned them that having a king would be a very costly luxury. It says in 1 Kings 8, 11 through 18, and he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He will take your sons and will appoint them for himself or his chariots and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he will appoint him captains over thousands and captains over fifties. It goes on, and he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers. He will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards, even the best of them, and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your seeds and of your vineyards and give to his officers and to his servants. And it goes on, verse 18, And ye shall cry out on that day because of your king, which ye shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. It's just saying, this was a warning by Samuel prior to his passing Listen, if you get a king, he's going to be hard. He's going to take your men to be soldiers. He's going to take your ladies. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take uh, taxes. And all of this stuff is going to come upon you because you don't want me to rule. And we find that in our government today. And the very things that Samuel warned about, Solomon implemented to the T. So the people are frustrated. Rehoboam, you either change your policies or we're out. I mean, it's kind of like Brexit, right? They're done. Rehoboam most likely had known about the prophecy of Ahijah. Ahijah takes a cloak, he tears it into 12 pieces, he gives two. Benjamin and Judah would end up being with, with uh, the king of David's dynasty, and the other 10 would go with Jeroboam. And Ahijah says, listen, Rehoboam, or Jeroboam, excuse me, Jeroboam, you're going to get 10 of the tribes will follow you. And you will stay in power if you follow God. Jeroboam was a favorite in Egypt. And Rehoboam didn't know what plans he and Pharaoh had come together on. The kingdom's not in good shape. Visitors to Israel were awestruck. I mean, it was just a beautiful place. And I was thinking this week, you know, even as David took over, uh, just going back a little bit in history, when David took over the kingdom... It was first seven and a half years, he was only the king of Judah. After those seven and a half years, then all of Israel came together and said, hey, we want to make you king. And so for the last 33 years, David was king. Now, when he takes over, 
there are still some people that are for Saul. Why aren't Saul's descendants? I mean, Ishbosheth himself had tried to ascend to the throne. Didn't go very well for him. He was murdered by Abner. But, as you think about this, there is tremendous division. And so David comes in with a shepherd's heart, takes him seven and a half years to, to begin to unite the kingdom that is at odds. I mean, there is so bu- a whole bunch of different... Um, <coughs> A bunch of different ideas and thoughts about the kingdom. Saul was their first king, and he had failed miserably. The people said to Rehoboam, We are willing to serve you, but you've got to do it on our terms. All of God's great leaders were truly servants to the people. Moses, Joshua, Samuel, and even especially David. Solomon chose to be a celebrity, not a servant. And Rehoboam followed in his stead, in his step. When Jesus Christ came to earth, he came as a servant. And he taught his disciples. I want you to look with me at Luke chapter uh, 22. We're going to look at a couple passages here. We're really on a leadership type thing. Luke chapter 22, 24. In Luke chapter 22, uh, verse 24, and there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest, obviously the disciples of Jesus Christ, the twelve disciples. In verse 25, and he said unto them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors, but ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as a younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. Jesus is teaching them, listen, it's about service. I want you to look with me at Philippians chapter 2, another passage of scripture. It gives even more about the character and the uh, position of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, we'll read 13 verses here. There be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having... The same love being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now here is our example, our model. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. It was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let this mind be in you. He gives us an example what Jesus did. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And he wants us to follow that same example. He does not give us the examples of great leaders who tower above in an aloof and and distant fashion. 
as we find this, uh, the washing of the feet and the other things that Jesus did came in complete humility. Now, going back here <clears throat> to our, our main text in 1 Kings, verse 6 of 1 Kings 12, and King Rehoboam consulted with the old men that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, How do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spake unto him, saying, If thou wilt be a servant unto this people this day and wilt serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up with him and which stood before him. And he said unto them, What counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter. And the young men that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy. Make thou it lighter unto us. Thus shalt thou say unto them, My little finger shall be thicker than my father's loins. Now whereas my father did lay you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Now, there is a, the only wise thing Rehoboam did here is he had to delay, right? He delayed to give a, he didn't immediately answer the people. I, he didn't say, I will follow you or I won't. He, he didn't do that. So that was a wise thing. You know, uh, time uh, does give some uh, room for thinking about it. There's no evidence here. Obviously, he seeks the Lord for prayer or wisdom. There's no evidence that he goes to the priest or the high priest seeking wisdom, right? He merely consults with those to whom he thinks has the answer that is appealing to his lusts. So that'll tie well with our morning service, being an emotionally led individual. But his mind is already made up. I will rule. My dad ruled. My grandpa ruled. I will rule. This is my kingdom. It went from being a privilege to rule to being a right to rule. When it becomes a right, there's a change, much like our government is doing today, whereas it is a servant to the people, as it should be, but it feels like it is a uh, boss to the people, right? It ought to be the public. John Q. Public is not the customer. David was willing to humble himself, to seek the mind of God, to pray. And leaders who may try to impress with their skills but take no time to seek God only prove that they don't know, you know the most important thing in spiritual leadership. They're, you know, that we're second in command. It's God that's leading. I want you to look with me at Joshua chapter 5 and in a godly example of a leader here. Joshua chapter 5, uh, verse 13. As you think about Joshua here. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. It says, And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay. But as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. 
Joshua is seeking the Lord. He does this before he enters into Jericho. He's understanding that if we proceed forward without the Lord's blessings, it is a dangerous path forward. When we make decisions seeking sound spiritual counsel and making sure those we talk to are mature saints to give us good guidance. The British writer Frank Borum said, we make our decisions and then our decisions turn around and make us. And there are consequences to our decisions. If the path we choose to be is a detour, then we must admit and confess our sin and get back on the right road. There's times we get off track because we're trying to do life our way. So the elders give Rehoboam the best advice. Rehoboam, wake up, listen to them, listen to their contentions. Serve them, they said, right? They said, be a leader. They need someone to, to help them in their life. They are weighed down. <coughs> the author of this material, he says, in more than 50 years of ministry, I've seen so-called Christian leaders take the Rehoboam approach, do terrible damage to the work of the Lord, and then walk away from the mess, leaving behind poison and debris that will take years to remove. End quotes. When someone takes on the position of Rehoboam and making life harder rather than easier, it does do tremendous damage. Rehoboam has no intention of weighing the facts, weighing the outcome, weighing a bad decision and moving forward. Now the old world, the, the ancient world, the here of Rehoboam's day and, and Solomon and David's day, they would honor the wisdom with age, right? Honored age and maturity here. Our present society, it honors, worships youth. Now, there is a desperate need for generational balance. I want to look, you know, and the Bible does give us some understanding of this. Titus chapter 2, verse 1, about a generational balance. This is why back in the 90s when a lot of the contemporary movement and you would have churches that would be taking on a traditional service and a contemporary service, they were catering to the young, hoping to get the older to go there, but they divided it because they needed the older people to continue to give the offerings. And, uh, continue, and, and it created tremendous division in, in churches. It was a horrible, horrible idea. And uh, Titus chapter 2, verse 1 but speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, that means under self-control, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patient, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior, as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech, that cannot be condemned, that he, that is of the contrary part, may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Here's the elder and older, the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of spirit, writing to Titus, 
First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus are pastoral epistles. They are written to men that are in the ministry. You also find in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. So again, there is a uh, distinction. Now obviously there, there's spiritual maturity that, that aligns with that, because uh, the Apostle Paul would tell Timothy, you know, let no man despise thy youth. Timothy was young in age, but mature spiritually speaking, and would go on to be greatly used of the Lord. You know, the, the, the author gives an illustration. He said, a friend told me he wanted to start a church for only people 50 and older. <laughs> and, uh, and so the pastor, the guy, he says, I suggested to my friend that he put an undertaker on the staff there. You know, and God meant for church to be male and female. God meant it for old and young. Uh, there's, there's older and younger, and we all have a part to play uh, in the Lord's body, the body of Christ, the local church, in doing his will for our lives. But there can be old fools, there can be young fools. Just because someone's young doesn't mean they're foolish, and just because they're old doesn't mean they're wise. Age is no guarantee of wisdom. And young people can have tremendous energy and be a great help, and older people have tremendous uh, help as well in the things that they've seen. So there is old and young. It's not this division that by somehow inherent in our uh, age that we are excluded. We're put out to the pasture. The young counselors here to Rehoboam are primarily interested in magnifying themselves and the authority of the new king. They thought it best to, sh to make a show of force. What do you seek when you're younger? What is it something you, saw, you seek? You want authority or power, which means money, which equals with money, and freedom. Leave me alone. I'm going to do life my way. I've got my path charted for my life. I want my freedom, and I want the authority to make my own decisions. Unfortunately, the freedom that we think we have and the authority we think we have leads us down some very bad ways at times, some bad decisions. So after admonishing both, obviously we find that Rehoboam goes with the answer of the younger friends. 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you, be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud and giveth grace to the humble. This is a tremendously damaging, fracturing decision. Sometimes we think, well, our decisions really don't have, uh, they don't have great implications. Think about when you, uh, in the book of Ruth, right, Naomi's husband decided to move from Bethlehem there to, to Moab. And as he moves there, I think it's Moab, I'm trying to blink on it right now. But he moves his whole family. He dies, his two sons die, and they've moved out of the will of God. Now God still used it because Ruth enters into the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. The other, Orpah, she was neglected. But we think, well, my decisions really don't have that much uh, weight to them. They don't really affect people that much. 
That's a horrible way to think because our decisions, right or wrong, have great implications and consequences. So here in verse 12 of 1 Kings, the announcement of the king. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's advice that they gave him. Old men's counsel that they gave him, excuse me. And spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah the Shilonite unto Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So when all Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse to your tents, O Israel. Now see to thine own house, David. So Israel departed their tents, but as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Rehoboam was a man, 41 years of age, who had grown up in the palace. He has grown up spoon-fed with a golden spoon. Father, his father was the wisest man to ever live, the richest man. Proverbs 15.1 tells us, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Uh, uh, Solomon wrote this, right, by the inspiration of God. A book about practical wisdom, a soft answer. Now, if we think about this, obviously this is not quite the soft answer that is desired. Rehoboam's leadership is motivated by his pride, not humility. And it doesn't, when you think about pride, pride does not bring with it gentleness and kindness. Unless it is, the perception of it, right, unless it is mutually beneficial. Proverbs 12, 18 tells us, There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Where is the words of Rehoboam, where are his words health? How are they helping the people? How are they helping the people with their daily lives? It's kind of like the government we're in today. I mean, they keep imposing all these taxes with ill regard for the well-being of its citizens, who many, with all the increased inflation and taxes and everything else that is being heaped upon uh, John Q. Public, that there are tremendous, tremendous difficulties, challenges. I mean, food prices are going through the roof. Gas prices, boom, everything is going up. I think we would have a very similar government. Rehoboam hadn't taken time to read Deuteronomy. As we had said the previous two kings, as we've talked about before, they were to write out the law. Rehoboam was to write out the law every seven years, or to read out the law to all of, all of Israel. To read it and to copy it. And the words that he spoke were grievous. Thy father made our yoke grievous. When they're saying these words, hey, Rehoboam, you are, your dad was really heavy. We like to think about Solomon as a tremendously wise man. We like to think about Solomon as a wealthy man. We like to think about him when he makes that decision with God. God, I need wisdom to lead the kingdom. My father did a great job. I need wisdom. Incredible decisions for a young man to make. He didn't ask for wealth or power or authority. He just said, God, I need wisdom. That's a, that's a wise thing that Solomon did. But he took the wisdom and the gifts that God gave him and used them for his personal gain, and he forfeited much. 
And his decisions would cost his next generations. Scorpions, that word there, scorpions, as you find in the text, was the name for a whip with metal pieces in it, similar to the Roman scourge. So rather than just a whip with leather, it would have metal pieces in it. What part of this is Rehoboam making it clear that he's going to be light? He's not. He's saying, I'm more powerful. I'm stronger than my dad. You're unimportant. And I'm going to get my point across. Here's a third generation of David's dynasty. And it's on a quick downward spiral. People would serve the Lord during Joshua's days, but when Joshua fell off the scene and he died, the elders, they, the people would continue to follow the elders, but the third generation, they turned from the idol. They turned from the Lord to idols. Judges chapter 2, verse 7 through 10. It's the third generation. Many times it can be a parent that gets saved, saved out of the world. The second generation grows up in church. Mom and dad are still fervent for the Lord. The kids are going to church. But it's then those third generation, the grandkids of the, par- the grandparents, the church just becomes a part of life. It's just a, an activity rather than an act of worship. The founders worked hard and sacrificed much there in Israel to get the promised land. Much like a, someone starting a business. You work, you work and labor, you're, you work your hands. I mean, you just, blood, sweat, and tears, if you would say, in those early days of starting a business. Faithful, the next generation understands and has seen mom and dad working hard and going through some tough times. And Then the third generation only sees the fruit of all the labor. They don't get to see grandma and grandpa on their hands and knees or in the times that they're so discouraged thinking this business is lost. They don't get to see that. They get to inherit everything without working for it or paying for it and they begin to tear down what grandma and grandpa worked so hard. If the second generation doesn't teach the third generation to work and to love the Lord and receive the teachings of God, that next generation will turn from God and want nothing to do with them, and they'll turn to idols. And that's exactly what we're seeing in our day in many, many churches, children and grandchildren, because one generation is not teaching the next generation how to have that... (laughs) you know, that true relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis, how to put practically Christ into our life, the next generation only sees church as a Sunday activity. Well, if it's only an activity and I can serve God however I want and I can pray to Him wherever I want, then why do I need church and why do I need to be there? And it only and it's dismissed. There is a lack of, of teaching in this. And, and obviously that was the result of Solomon. I mean, Solomon was so consumed. He had so many wives and concubines and all of his political uh, agenda and all of his political scheduling and plans that he spent very little time, presumably, with his children. And there, I mean, how, who knows how many children he had. And they don't learn how good God is. They only learn how smart dad is, or mom is, 
And because the mothers were, you know, there were so many in his harem, it was the mothers that were instilling the virtues and values. Where are these mothers coming from? Rehoboam, his mother, as it tells us here, she was pagan. Well, what other than paganism is that child going to learn? Because the dad, here Solomon, is not in his proper role as both dad and husband. What happens? Jeroboam is made king over the northern tribe. Solomon's first official decision brought him the reputation for great wisdom. His son's first official decision would break the kingdom in two. And for centuries, the Jews would actually consider this the greatest division and the greatest tragedy in their history. And they would measure every other calamity by this. Isaiah 7, 17, and I'll bring this to a close. The Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Assyria. They're still measuring from the day Rehoboam made that fatal decision. It was pride. God humbles pride. And I was just reading in Proverbs that, hey, God regards pride as an abomination. That's pretty stern words. So as we think about this, we'll come back and next week we'll talk about an angry king. And not next week, following week, excuse me. No Sunday school, next Sunday. But as we think on this, just the truths uh, that Rehoboam would...